This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off-Tackle Empire! Welcome to the Blocking Charge Cast, but before we begin, I'm going to take cues from a former Big Ten football coach. Uh, I would like to begin by noting that I am a winner, and everybody else that's contributing on here are losers, so please justify your presence on this podcast if you can, because remember, I have a proven track record as a winner. Uh, Well, okay, so what I do is I... I take the results of the games and the the broader goings on and commentary about the about the sport of the you know the Big Ten college basketball, and then I I turn it into into the content. So, okay, so it seems to me then why can't the user just look the game results up uh, themselves? Well, I we put it in in a in a way they can understand that. We're, okay, okay. So you physically get the results. So you physically take the results and give them to the user. Well, no, my Iowa grad does that. Well, okay. So, but 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 surely you must then uh, produce some of the content. Well, no, that's that's my co-host that who, who does the production and, and the what technical. would you say you do here i i'm i'm a people podcaster I, I i'm good at podcasting for people i don't know what it is about that 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 these people can't understand <laughs> of course uh welcome to our basketball coverage uh we we as always are trying to get a diverse array of opinions on here, especially a diverse array of uh, representations from people that ooh, frankly know more about basketball than myself. I'm Steve Braun, Thumposaurus, the, uh, the Illinois guy. I pretty, I know not that much about uh, the sphere outside of Illinois, but I have been watching a fair amount of big 10 basketball. And of course our, uh, our primary host who puts all this together is uh, Andrew Krzyzewski over there. We are hoping to get some more, some more opinions here, but for now it, it appears that, uh, that we're right back to this rotation, which is interesting because we're recording this in the middle of uh, a game that I absolutely have to watch. It's Bears Packers. I have my Whitney Merciless jersey on, even though he's probably never going to play another snap for them. And, uh, you know, we were just talking through the Urban Meyer thing right there where uh, Urban Meyer uh, decided that he was going to really turn this locker room around, turn this coaching staff around by by going into a coach's meeting and then declaring that he was a winner and everybody else was losers and demand that they tell him where in their past they've ever won talking to people that have super bowl rings as coaching assistants but and and talking to people that he hired also it's it's year one he had complete carte blanche to build that staff and presumably parts of the front office the way he saw fit that shad Khan threw him the keys to the franchise which boy talk about a mistake 
but anyway, that so yeah, it, although this is going to be primarily a basketball podcast, that is kind of the last major story that came out here. Or and in lieu of again, so it, short of just doing a podcast like this every couple of days, which is just frankly not plausible for anybody on this site, we're going to check in every couple of weeks, give you an idea of where each team is in kind of rapid fire fashion, summarize what's happened so far, and look ahead. We'll finish up basically with a few games you might consult looking ahead, not only for your own team, but if you're interested in seeing what some of the other contenders or interesting teams, or if you just want to watch a train wreck from a certain bad team that you might have it in for in the conference, we'll point out where you might be in for some entertainment value there. Or you just do the big 10 thing, which is to say you watch the teams play the non-conference. And then when they lose, you're like, Oh damn it. How could you do this to us? You, you get mad at them for losing, even though you, the, you yourself wanted them to lose, but you, you act like you're really mad that they lost because it hurts you as a conference member. Yeah, you're, you're, Im, you're impairing the quality of my net, Purdue, when you go out and lose to Rutgers, even though they're also probably going to be at worst a quad two loss by the end of the season. Eh, maybe that's a stretch, but we'll see. Um, in any case, we're here mid-December, so... All of the first two games, which is how I refer to these two conference games we play this week, uh, sort of dropped in what used to be the long stretch of cupcake non-con season. I refer to those as the first two. I, maybe there's an official term for them or not, but we're going to keep using that term. So that's what we mean by that. Of course, we'll also go through the stuff that happened in the early season tournaments with a bit of a focus on the Big Ten ACC Challenge, that being the most recent one that everybody participated in there were a couple other teams that still had tournaments going you know maryland and purdue were in this event today uh purdue had an escape there speaking of but most of the other you know the battle for atlantis champions classic um, maui gym all those things happened a few weeks ago so it's mostly old news news but we'll refer to that stuff as well so speaking of the big story in the big 10 acc challenge uh good guys win eight to six after a long stretch of futility in that challenge early in its existence, the Big Ten has really improved their performance against the ACC in that direct event recently. But honestly, this was a matchup that could have been much more tilted in favor of the Big Ten. Two overtime games dropped to the ACC, one four overtime game, which really, uh, Nebraska NC State might already be an early candidate for game of the year, not in terms of quality, exactly. Entertainment but, value. I mean, yeah. that was just, it was just a thing to behold because what ultimately won the game for NC state was simply that they had fresher legs than the Nebraska who was rapidly running out of players and couldn't really sub people in and out of the game anymore. Yeah. And once you get to overtime, it's honestly, so the natural comparison here as well, I mean, that's only four overtimes, not I think compared to nine overtimes. And sure, no, not on paper. <laughs> but the thing about basketball overtime is because there are so many more events and possessions per session, it's actually much harder for an yeah, overtime it took session a lot to longer. A tie than a football overtime session in, in college. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the football ones are basically designed uh, almost to, to keep it going, especially those I mean, those two point ones, what's crazy about that is that you don't have the option to end the game like like the way that you used to with the, you know, indefinite score a touchdown and then you have the extra point opportunity. Well, you could then, um, you know, go for two to try to end the game. Yeah. Uh, Of course, then they take that away from you after that. But uh, 
Right. Even if you just start on defense and you know, well, if we hold them to a field goal, we win with a touchdown, for example, like things like that. Or, or if we don't let them score at all, then we just need to kick the field goal. So, so if you have an ACC game, an ACC game, I would have said big 12, but that was 10 years ago. You have a modern day ACC game go (laughs) into the, the two point shootout where both defenses are gassed. It could last forever, but (laughs) this Nebraska NC state game could not. And ultimately Nebraska just could not keep shooting. They just did not have the legs to continue to shoot the ball. Yeah, well, NC State definitely has had the best player on the court in that Seabron guy whose first name escapes me, but Purdue got a full, you know, eyeful of him again today. And that's really, I mean, and basketball obviously always favors the team with the best individual talents because there's so few players on the floor. That's definitely the case as the game goes on where you've got guys falling out, other guys in foul trouble, guys who have played 40 or 50 minutes. Uh, and so you get to a point where everyone's exhausted and it really is just who has the most raw skill and can push their team over the finish line. Um, so anyway, we've, we've jumped a little bit out of order here, but we'll continue kind of at the end there. Nebraska was actually, I mean, I just, I randomized the order that we were going to talk about these teams, but since we already went over Nebraska's game with NC state, we'll go a little bit more in depth with them. So the preseason question for Nebraska is because, as has been the case under Fred Hoiberg, his first two seasons, they very much hit the Yahtzee shaker on their roster. <laughs> Just a few players carrying over from last year. True, but certainly nothing approaching ideal, um, ideal carryover rates. They bring in more transfers. They add Bryce McGowan's their most talented freshman recruit by a mile in school history. Also <laughs> Wilhelm Breidenbach, the, uh, fan t- who I think is going to become a fan favorite across the conference, shaggy hairstyle. I think f- some facial hair, the athletic glasses, that's always going to make you a favorite in my book. Uh, the only thing I need for him to do now is have his hairline recede about 40%. And then he's my favorite player in the big 10, no question. Uh, but he is the fourth most talented play uh, recruit in Nebraska history. Again, going according to the rankings. So a much more talented Nebraska team, the results really aren't there yet. And it's for some of the same reasons that we've seen these first two years, which is they get hammered on the boards by any good rebounding team. Um, And it's really a a question of depth and strength on the front line. Because, yeah, Breidenbach is a center. It's helpful to have him, but they don't play him much. Lat Mayan gets a lot of minutes at the five, and he's really a stretch five, not exactly a physically imposing guy. He's got good length and strength, but... Not somebody who you're going to body up with, you know, the likes of Zach Eady or something like that, right? And so what that means is anytime they go up against a team with a good front line, they're really going to struggle. And in the Big Ten, that means you like your matchup against Minnesota and maybe Penn State, but even they have John Hara, so it's... Well, I mean, Rutgers at home, if you're at home... Yes, that's right. Because if if Rutgers is away from the rack and whatever whatever bizarre sight lines they've built up there, then yeah, you can expect that you can expect to hold them under fifty. And all you yeah, got to well, do is get a couple of you guys going, and you're fine. Our other Illinois contributor made this observation: where is usually what uh, a home court advantage is usually in betting odds worth what for basketball, college basketball about like four points. Yeah, four to five, depending on uh, some of the bigger venues. We'll get a couple more than that. Yeah, for Rutgers, it's worth about thirty points. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, right, and you before we started recording, you were mentioning that even as we're here, the Rutgers and Seton Hall game is ongoing. I haven't checked back in it recently, but I've Seton been watching Hall, it during commercials of the uh, 
Bears Packers game, which I, I noticed see, the Bears actually went down and got points. So instead of using, you know, Bears linebackers or whoever, they actually started using Justin Fields on the on the going to commercial graphics this time. Wow, he actually earned his way to the cover. Yeah. But anyway, Rutgers still trails Seton Hall by 11 as I'm watching this. But boy, they Seton Hall fans went on Twitter and decided to flex on Rutgers for having a, a, a very small arena and being mad that Seton Hall closed the upper deck of the New Jersey Devils arena where they play, where, where they rent. Uh, and 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 made me go on Twitter and stick up for Rutgers. And it's that's like a weird, it's a weird flex, right? That's a very strange approach to oh, oh man, our arena technically has a lot more chairs in it than yours. Uh, we don't want people sit in half of them and wouldn't fill it if we did. But technically, our building is larger. Guess <laughs> that's the thing we're brought. You know, dorm room name ass university. Like, come on, that's. You already because again your your school sounds like a dorm room. You're already in a position where you can't really miss when you go and try and take dunks on people on Twitter. But oh boy, I mean that that's a real own goal right there. And you know, you leave the dunking on Rutgers to the professionals, right? This is not we don't we don't need amateurs, part timers, you know, moonlighters coming in here and. We've been we've been living this with Rutgers for better part of a decade. They, now. they they just they scored five in a row since I've been watching to cut it to a six point game. Um, but back to Nebraska, there they've lost four straight now. And at the beginning of the year, they opened up with a one point loss against Western Illinois, which was one of a series that has sort of been forgotten as we you know as the Big Ten won the ACC challenge. But yeah, boy, we started off the very first couple of games that virtually every Big Ten team played. Uh, they lost, um, and there was a lot of there was an awful lot of uh, dunking on predictions of the best to- the, the best basketball conference in the country again, even better this year. And in Nebraska's case, not that they had very high expectations, but they lost to Western Illinois. Um, Illinois, of course, lost their third game to Marquette. Uh, Indiana didn't didn't they lose their first one? Oh no, they did not. Uh... They did not against Emu. Um, no, they made they made it pretty close though. Um, they also had a narrow escape against St. John's, um, and most of the rest of their games were pretty marshmallowy. So not an not an overly impressive start for Indiana. But we'll, you know, I mean, why not? We'll we'll kind of jump around here as the spirit takes us. So we'll go ahead and move on to Indiana next then. So as per usual, their non-conference slate not exactly all that imposing. Uh, they did stub their toe on a pretty bad Syracuse team in two overtimes in the challenge. And then in the first two in conference play, they acquired and then mysteriously misplaced a 20 plus point lead over Wisconsin on the road. The curse of the Cole center continues for Indiana. Don't know which curd eating old Roma woman, the Hoosier fan base offended, but make amends, make it right. And it's strange a brand decided and maybe this is just i don't know if it's because i'm watching a lot more games on btn it feels like or sometimes even if i had even if i'm watching machine state games i might have the volume off, volume off i'm doing other things but it feels as though a player the caliber of trace jackson davis having some of the performances he is is flying kind of under the radar like if, when i think about the big 10 and all the excellent big men in it. He's just like a guy that I co- sort of skip over in my head, probably because I assumed he would be one and done 
or certainly would have left before this year. Like that he's still around with, uh, you, you know, he's going to have great measurables. His interior defense has gotten tremendous. Maybe not quite the face-up shooter yet that the NBA would be looking for, but at this point, it's like, I, I don't know how much Mike Woodson's system is going to develop that particular skill in him. So I was very surprised that he came back, but he's the guy that you have to remember when you play Indiana. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, and of course, Indiana had their own uh, multi-overtime heartbreaking loss to an ACC opponent in Syracuse and uh, that's their only other blemish though they rebounded with a convincing win over Merrimack uh, had handled Nebraska of course as part of the uh, the first two that you know calling them that Merrimack game was today and I actually caught a pretty good portion of it and I will say Merrimack fought Indiana much longer than that score would indicate so the final margin ends up being a 32 point win and you assume oh They've got their end-of-the-bench scholarship guys and walk-ons playing 8-10 minutes in the second half. No, they needed – it was a close game into about 15 minutes, 13 minutes left in the second half, and then Indiana really started to pull away. Uh, part of that was just that, look, Merrimack is a very slow-tempo team, although actually the when they were having success in the first half was kind of when they sped things up and took earlier shots in the shot clock. But um, – they're sort of fun and they're new to division one. So they're still building. You, you expect them to play this sort of conservative. How do we improve our odds kind of basketball where it's not as bad as watching like a Tony Bennett UVA or anything, but they do. They're very, they, they abandon the offensive boards. They get everybody back in transition. They slow the game down as much as they can. Understanding that the more possessions they are they're they're in the worse off they're going to be. Uh, but anyway, so it, yeah, Indiana did handle Merrimack in the end, but it was really just because Race Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis were just too physically imposing for Merrimack to do anything about it the whole game. Race and Trace sounds like a game plan, but like not involving players with those names, <laughs> right? Doesn't it just like sound like a plot? Like it's like you know, like the run and shoot or whatever, or it, like a like a season long arc or an episode title from iRobot or something, yeah. <laughs> Or Mr. Robot, iRobot's the Jackson Davis is uh, averaging 3.4 blocks a game, which is anything over three is pretty. pretty Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's I he's probably going to be a strong contender for defensive player at the year. They certainly play him large enough minutes. I mean, the only thing like I love Marcus Bingham's play, but he still doesn't get the minutes load to have the volume of stats that a guy like Jackson Davis is going to. And he's taken a big step forward, though. He's always had the physicality to do it. But I, yeah, Woodson's staff has visibly improved him on that front. Um, and it's the other thing is, you know, for the last couple of years of the Archie Miller era, it was the Indiana was such a bad shooting team that even with two guys as good as Jackson Davis and Thompson in there, it was like, well, teams just have to mob the paint, and nothing about this is going to work because there's no there's, there's nobody who you have to respect on a kickout even when they do have guys who can drive the, again, the lane's clogged because there's no threat of the outside shot. It's not as though they've radically improved their outside shooting. Uh, Miller cop has actually helped them a lot in that. I know when he transferred away from Northwestern, uh, you kind of got to chuck a lot of that, but he's helped them a lot. He has a little bit more shooting gravity than anybody they've had the last couple of years. Oh no. I only thought it was funny because I just think the idea of, of somebody, uh, you know, 
going up in the world by transferring within their conference is uh, it's fair. I mean, I won't, I don't know that it's necessarily a, a, a even trade for Peyton Ramsey, given what Northwestern football was able to do with him. But it's always funny when bad things happen in Northwestern. And uh, that was, that was a bad one that happened yeah, to them. And I did, I mean, I did think that he would be good for them for, for yeah, Indiana full, as a role player, uh, definitely value to add. Yeah. Four results yet to be determined. If Indiana, makes a tournament, which I think has to be their baseline goal for the first season. And, you know, if they're in the top half of the big 10 and he's a big part of that, you know, as their top shooting option, I have to think they end up feeling okay about the trade. It's not the same as winning a division title, but that's not, it's a much tougher neighborhood to win the big 10 in basketball than it is to win the big 10 West in football, you know? Yeah, absolutely. If there were, Oh God, can you imagine if there were divisions in football and there was a, a really bad one? Or in basketball, and they were a really bad one? Well, I assume what we would do every time the dominant division won the title, which would be every time, uh, would be a couple people would wring their hands and ask if it was time to to redraw the divisions online, and the conference would pretend that that was impossible, even though it's already happened once in the barely 10-year history of having divisions. So that's probably how that would go. I just, you know, I'm glad that we don't have to talk to deal with that now that it's basketball season. See what I would do is I would put the, uh, the big 10 outer and the big 10 inner. So you, you want to have right, right now you'd put Rutgers, Maryland, Penn state, uh, Nebraska, right. You're, you're going to the boundaries, right. Nebraska, Minnesota. Um, and I guess you could maybe sneak, sneak Northwestern in there. Uh, if you want, um, I'm just kind of trying to trying to hammer as many bad teams in there. I mean, I'll, you could put Iowa in there then. Yeah, for sure. And that's as good a place to jump next as any. So Iowa evidently spent every last ounce of energy they had taking down Virginia. Uh, and that's doing God's work, you know, respect for that. But it also evidently left them completely exhausted. How about this for a stretch of the schedule, by the way? So as we just mentioned, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, they go to Virginia win that game by one point actually scored in the first half of that game scored the most points in a half that have ever been allowed by a Tony Bennett Virginia team if I remember correctly or maybe it's since a given date but it there was a stat involved there I just certainly don't remember it uh, so they win that game on the road but then they go into Big Ten play first two games at Purdue home against Illinois and then after those two, both losses, uh, they go to Iowa State. And I, I don't know if you're going to find a four-game stretch in the country tougher than that because Iowa State, as we'll remember, is powered by a couple of Big Ten castoffs that changed teams because their coaches got fired, Isaiah Brockington from Penn State and Gabe Kalshauer from Minnesota. And Brockington lit Iowa on fire in that game. I watched a good part of it, and it was just – Keegan Murray has had a fantastic start to the season. He was a disaster against Iowa State, and it also was fairly well-proof positive of the blueprint to deal with the Hawkeyes, which is you, you just swarm Murray anytime he gets the ball, make somebody else prove they can beat you, and they don't have enough guys who are capable of doing that right now to get yeah, as, that kind of game plan. As tough as that stretch is, I think, I think that the point where Iowa fans maybe felt the best was – maybe during the Purdue game where they played without Keegan Murray and generally just kind of battled them to, uh, you know, to a seven point loss. And they felt very, very good about themselves, especially then going and being a what I think by the time the game started, it was five and a half point favorites against Illinois, who everybody had mostly written off since they got their ass kicked by Cincinnati. And 
one of the most bizarre basketball games I've ever seen. Um, there's this, you know, kind of video game thing called min-maxing where you, you, you don't put any of your character build points into certain attributes, instead opting to maximize some that you're going to make use of. You saw that at work here because uh, Iowa put on the press and decided to not even try to rebound with Illinois. So yeah, they, they got 14 more turnovers in Illinois. 18 to four was the difference. And then got out rebounded by over 30. Yeah. And this, so maybe I should have included them on the list of teams that Nebraska looks forward to in the sense of, well, can we physically hang with this team on the boards? Uh, but yeah, so the concept you're referring to, the mid-next thing is just, you know, you're, you're, you're basically leaning into being really good at some things and really terrible at others. Yeah, and if you're, if you're not good at that one thing, you're not even going to try, not even going to bother, right? You just spend yeah. all your energy doing the things that you're good at. Yeah, and it, look, you know, there's probably going to be some instances where that works. I don't know if they're going to apply that. kind. Of, I mean, really, the way they applied that much pressure against Illinois is because Grubello was out. And a couple of, like, <laughs> Illinois also play, is starting to play Alfonso Plummer, Bigger minutes, understandable because he's a lights out shooter, but he not so much a good. Yeah, player. he's very, very good at, at shooting. Um, not so much as a ball handler. He, he he's got kind of Brandon Paul energy. I love Brandon Paul, but uh, but there were times when Brandon Paul would have mental lapses as ball handler, bringing it up the court. Um, and you know, Trent Frazier finally had a really good game in Illinois' last game, but he he wasn't really on against Iowa, and so. The question of who's going to bring the ball up the court didn't really get answered in the Iowa game because they had back-to-back 10-second violations in the backcourt yeah, well, at one had, point during that game. They had power forward Coleman Hawkins involved with breaking the press as a one of the main as like the guy in the middle of the floor on a couple of possessions. I'm just looking at it, I'm like, how is that the solution? Like you gotta have somebody. I mean Coleman had, Hawkins is, in my opinion, a budding JaVale McGee in, in that is a is a guy that <laughs> not not quite the athlete, but he's a guy that's capable of doing a lot of really good things for you and being a really good role player. And then just sometimes he just kind of momentarily forgets what sport he's playing. A little bit of a golden retriever energy to him at times, for sure. Uh, where you know you, you really just you want to do you want to set him up to do things that involve him bounding around using, like you said, that energy and that springiness. Very and... very sophomore right now, I could say uh, his game is. Unpolished, but definitely, I don't think there was a game script that called for Coleman Hawkins to be bringing the ball up the floor. No, I doubt it. Uh, and so we'll, we'll continue on kind of with the rest of the story for Illinois. I mean, as we referenced with the Curbelo injury, you know, Kofi Coburn suspended a couple games right at the beginning for uh, not waiting long enough to sell memorabilia, even though it was totally legal a couple months later. Couple other injuries that have happened for the line. I basically they started the season by just falling down a flight of stairs. And you mentioned, yeah, taking a pretty ugly loss to Cincinnati. It really, really, really terrible loss. They got their ass kicked. I mean, yeah, the Marquette loss was uh was also one where I think it it was a call late in the game that that went against us. And those kind of things happen. Um, you know, you win games like that, you lose games like that. Uh, I think. Coburn makes a big difference in that game. But in Cincinnati, Cincinnati had a pair of guys big enough to effectively double Kofi uh, because there's really nobody that can take Kofi one-on-one in college ball. Um, The question is, do you have a combination of two guys that can stop Kofi in the paint? 
uh, and Arizona did and Cincinnati did. And in this case, then we had to run the Hunter Dickinson offense from last year's Michigan team, but with Kofi Coburn, whose career high in assists in a game is two. And that just didn't work because the threes were not falling and we couldn't find any other way to score points on offense. Um, Fortunately, we were able to win the next game against Bruce Weber coaching Mark Smith at Kansas State. Yeah, a game which, for the record, you were 100% confident Illinois was going to lose. And in your phrase, send Illini fans straight to hell. (laughs) That would have been just a truly horrifying game to lose. Uh, I here's what I want. It came down to the wire, though. Yeah, it did. Well, hold on. So what was the final margin there? Because I really don't think it was as close as that, at least not in my It was an eight-point margin, uh, but I think that part of that was just, you know, you get to fouling late. Um, Illinois Illinois did have like a, you know, a cushion of between four and ten for a lot of this uh, second half. Sure. So it's one of those games where it's close enough that you have to play it out. As you say, do the free throw shooting thing. Um, I understand. Sure. That, yeah. With Holy shit. Being a major part of your team, that's a problem. What's that? The turnover numbers for Illinois versus Kansas State. 18 by Illinois and four by Kansas State. So Illinois yeah. has committed that exact same number of turnovers versus their opponent and are 2-0 and when doing so. You, you got to remember, you're talking to a Michigan State fan. Whatever turnover numbers you're going to come up with are not going to impress me. Uh, <laughs> yes, but also that they're 2-0 and o while putting up that exact margin. Oh, yeah. Michigan State's won plenty of games this year, turning it over 15, 18, 20-plus times. Um, so I guess this is as good as a segue as any. We talked about your team. Now it's time to talk about mine. So as per usual... Michigan State under the Tom Izzo school of insane scheduling opens up the season with number three, Kansas. Um, they lost and by a pretty decent margin at the end, but they also gave Kansas a fight for really about 30 minutes or so before um, the Jayhawks stepped. And really what it came down to was Kansas had has Oshaya Jogby and Michigan State doesn't have a guy like that. They really don't. Um, I think if we play them again later in the season, things might go better. Rest of the non-con, they had a one-off game with Butler. That was a win. It kind of a down Butler team this year, according to most projections, but we'll see. They usually end up doing pretty well. And then in a loaded battle for Atlantis Field, thrilling back and forth, you know, one at this pulled out victories against Loyola and against UConn. And who they get in the final, but Baylor. And that game they kept it close for a bit less time. Really, they Baylor took the upper hand late in the first half. MSU was in a good position, led something between five and 10 points, if I remember right, for a good part of the first half. But there came a point where it's like, oh man, Baylor's got a lot of dudes, like a lot of dudes. It was a different feel from the Kansas. You felt like you felt like Steve Adazio out there. Uh, A lot of dudes, man. More in the context of Steve Adazio's Boston College playing like a Clemson. Maybe that's overplaying it too much. It's not like the gap was just dudes to the left of you, dudes to the right. There you were stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the middle with dudes, I think. With dudes. With dudes. (laughs) So it was one of those things where it was like, all right, I'm pretty sure I'm watching my team lose to the national champion this year. I I came away from that game with the impression Baylor is probably going to repeat. Nothing I've seen from the other team since then has changed my mind. But anyway, it was a thing where you get 
what should be a couple of quadrant one wins. Oh, hey, there's a that's gonna be a house call for you. Um, as we're again both oh, Jesse Fields just got juked in the open fields. Yeah, I hate to see it. Well, you know, what I've noticed about this is that you can, I mean, because what I saw there was like two straight drives for the Bears starting at, at midfield. And yeah, I've just now, I've just now seen that, uh, that pick six, which, uh, you know, see, I haven't been, even though the Packers trailed 10 to nothing, I didn't say anything, you know, about any concern in this because on the second play of the game, a Bears uh, defensive end, I think it was, uh, did the title belt thing standing over Rodgers. And look, I don't think that it's a thing where it's like, oh, you shouldn't do that or anything. It's just that the fact of the matter is. That's the pettiest human being in the building. Probably yeah, the pettiest human being within 500 miles. Of that has generally, it's just generally not gone very well for division rivals. But at least that dude still has an ACL right now. I was at yeah. the game where Stephen Tullock blew out his ACL doing the discount double check. Huh. Let's let me get back to Michigan State. Speaking of green teams, um, I've liked what I've seen for the most part. They had a very favorable draw in the first two games. Although I will say a road trip to Minnesota, even when they're viewed as being kind of down, is not an easy win by any means. Um, and Minnesota is certainly more of a live wire than, than I think anyone expected. But they win that game. They beat Penn State handily at home. And so now I've got a couple of cupcakes before they get back into it. And they've, they've got great balance. Uh, I think Gabe Brown is probably who you would view as the top dog, the guy who you can generally expect, you know, that 13 to 15 points a game kind of thing. But after that, they've got a solid five or six other guys, you know, seven maybe, who you could expect to get double figures from if they're having a good game. Uh, could be seen as both a good or a bad thing. Because on the one hand, if you're in a tight game, the question is, well, who do you look to for that last shot? But it also kind of answers itself, which is, well, whoever's having the good game that day also makes them more resistant to foul trouble, which is always going to be a concern with Tom Izzo's teams. They have had really bad turnover issues, but those are getting better in the last week or two. And I think a big part of that, a lot of the turnovers, first of all, there are games where you have like, two or three times guys like stepping out of bounds because they're in all these neutral site courts they're not familiar with and stuff. And the other thing is they really completely changed over their point guard position from last year. So Tyson Walker is a player who had a lot of good games at Northeastern, but had never played with these guys before. And AJ Hogard was a freshman of last year's team who really didn't play very much. So as they've gotten more comfortable, the turnovers have gone down. Walker at times looks like a dynamic distributor and floor general scores a little bit, but certainly not the way he did at Northeastern, uh, but certainly looks a little better integrated. I mean, even Joey Hauser has had a good couple of games here after what had to be one of the most disappointing debut seasons of a, you know, big time transfer prospect that I've ever seen last year and a pretty rough start to this year too. If they can get even league average play from him for 15 minutes a night at this point you happily take it and that's kind of really the last problem that they've got so it's been uh, yeah i can't complain too much yeah they've got a couple losses on the register already but that's just the way Izzo approaches the non-conferences let me get like it as many difficult opponents in as i can to simulate the tournament well i mean look what i didn't hear in there is anything about struggling to bring the ball up that really can compete with, say, 
losing to Arizona because of a five seconds closely guarded violation. No, that there's not <laughs> quite like that. No, it was it was just again, Kansas. They weren't ready for a team like that. I honestly think maybe if they played again now, Michigan State would. I'd probably say 60-40% chance they win that game. Baylor is a different animal. I maybe by the end of the season, if they continue on the curve they're on, Michigan State could handle a team like that. They're just they're certainly not there yet, though. Yeah, that note about losing that 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 Arizona game though is that. I didn't mention that one. And the only thing is that when you're Illinois and you've made a big comeback against Arizona and you're down three, you've got to give the ball to Williams because Williams could tie it with a three. All I'm saying is if you really, they had, they were in position to recreate the 2005 comeback and they had a guy named Williams. That's good at shooting threes. Um, (laughs) <laughs> now, the other game that I'm watching, of course, during the commercials is Rutgers at Seton Hall. Mm-hmm. Now, that one, Seton Hall's just taken a 13-point lead. So we don't necessarily have to get to that one, to, to Rutgers, until uh, that game is ended. But Yeah, uh, we, could, we can wait. They are at the under four media timeout in the second yeah, half. Yeah, so it looks like, it looks like it's going to be over soon unless the Gers has some road juice. But... Uh, Going back to what I said about the Big Ten embarrassing themselves in the early part of the season, perhaps one of the bigger signs was Penn State getting their ass absolutely kicked by UMass. Um, and yeah, Penn State not expected to be a standard bearer, but holy shit, what a terrible game. Yeah, I mean, they. the only – the other thing is UMass, again, not protected to be more than a middle-of-the-road A-10 team. They did not play the most difficult – non-con schedule did Penn State um, really their only kind of profile games were LSU and then Miami in the challenge they lost both of those they kept it reasonably close against Miami but that's and, not and a LSU I mean those were both yeah. five-point losses yeah well and so LSU always has the talent that you expect oh boy there he goes um, you're a couple seconds behind me so I hope I didn't just give something away at least that's what it sounds like um, that certainly, certainly, certainly did sound like, well, look, somebody's going to go in some direction. Okay. That's what I know. Well, I'm going to have, I'll, I'll refrain from further commentary on the game though. What I will just say to give you a hint of what is about to happen is I played the Packers defense tonight. <laughs> so well, anyway, that was a pretty reasonable play to make. I mean, I mean yeah, the bears are trash. And then yeah. like, like when I turn this game on, the first thing I saw was Jason Peters getting helped off the field. I was like, oh boy, shutouts in the bank. Uh, and then they drove down the field, got that field goal, and scored a touchdown on their next drive. And well, you know. So well, the only difference between this one and Brady and Tom Brady's game winning touchdown is that Justin Fields actually had to throw this one over the middle to his man that was five yards down the field and had already beaten the whole defense. Well, yeah, but he also did the thing where he threw it in strides so that he didn't have to slow down. So that's, I mean, I, I don't even, I didn't see the Brady play you're referring to, but that was an impressive throw kind of on the run. So uh, we were talking about Penn State. And again, the fact that we're desperately jumping into Bears football talk instead, that tells you. So I, I will say that for what it's worth, I think Shrewsbury is getting about the most that you can reasonably expect out of this roster. Um, he did kind of a similar thing to Mike Woodson, where when he's hired on, he did a pretty good job of convincing the previous guy's players to give him a shot. Now, not everybody stayed. We mentioned Brockington left for Iowa State. Um, Jamari Wheeler transferred in conference to Ohio State. Well, then there was uh, Trent Buttrick who transferred to UMass. And again, 
<laughs> kick the living shit out of Penn State. Yeah, which is weird. Like I I wonder what I wonder if there's some story though. Like I don't know, like maybe he's the guy where Shrewsbury was like, eh, yeah, I'm good. You can go. He's just, <laughs> I mean, like that, like he just, and did. then he's just out here pulling out this whole bag of butt tricks on them. Yeah, well, because um, the thing is, they really need him. They yeah, need him. Like John Harris has been really good in the front court, but he can't do it all himself. Uh, and right now, they basically need 35 plus strong minutes a game for. Him. And it was, I think it was the Michigan State game. But I was watching Penn State recently, and Harris had had a good game at that point. But second half, man, even like 10, 12 minutes left, he looked gassed um and that's that's an issue you're gonna have right because it they have a carryover from last year with Hera and Seth Lundy came back they've still got Sam Sessoms ASMR legend Sam Sessoms we'll just go ahead and get a nice clean audio clip around that for all of our we know that we attract a diversity of of listeners um and they've also gotten a couple pickups in Jalen Pickett um, and Cornwall, who have given them some help. Pickett was pretty good against uh, Michigan State, but again, kind of kind of just sort of Big Ten league average guys. Like, they didn't exactly go and pick up instant impact stars. It was more just stabilizing the roster. Plainly, they intend to build more through your more traditional high school recruiting. Still a team that's going to be pretty shorthanded most of the time. Uh, they'll probably, I mean, this is a blood and spiders league once again. It has been it really the Big Ten Zodiac from a football perspective, there are three years that it's that it might cycle through. There's the year of blood, and there is the year of spiders, and there is the year of both. And most years it is the year of both. It's not like a three-year rotation. It's like I you know every eight years or so, it's a little more chalky. It's only a year of spiders this year, and that there are like four really difficult teams. And kind of like this exact same concept for your blood. Like it's really just the same thing. But then most of the time it is blood and spiders where, yeah, you know, there are some teams better than others, but also you can lose to anyone. (laughs) Well, I mean, who were the two teams that we said were contenders? The top tier of contenders was Michigan and Purdue, and they both have conference losses. They do. Um, Let's see of those. Who's the more interesting? Well, you know, I just watched most of Purdue's game today. We mentioned them in passing. We'll go ahead and start with Purdue as between those two. So I thought they were the clear-cut favorite to win the conference coming into the year. Um, what we saw late in the season from Jaden Ivey seemed to indicate he was going to be this ball-dominant guard. He's got NBA size, um, driving ability, distribution skills. Travion Williams coming back, an absolute like I'm surprised there's no salt and pepper in his beard. He's been around forever. Willed them to wins against big time opponents. Zach Eady, kind of like Ivy also really came on last year. Um, and there are a few guys in the conference. I, man, I know who some of them are, but not all of them who played in the U19 tournament with the national team this year. Edie was one of them. And he it supposedly had a huge, like a quantum leap forward in his development. I think, the other two guys were Johnny Davis and Keegan Murray. So uh, if you think about who are the breakout young stars in the Big Ten this year, you draw that connection. Uh, the guys who played in that tournament all really benefited from it. And so Purdue, as per usual, tons of size. They have the dominant ball guard in Ivy. He's he's not the same kind of player as Carson Edwards was, but I think he can have the same kind of impact in certain games. Um, hey, they also just got a commit from a seven foot two center. 
Yeah, what a shrimp. I just The it, parade I, will continue. <laughs> yeah, uh, Swedish guy. William Berg, I believe. So, uh, you know, he's only a high schooler. He could very well end up as big as Edie. <laughs> yeah, very well could. Uh, yeah, so Purdue definitely did a lot of impressive damage in the non-conference. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you know, they beat down Florida State and then uh, beat Iowa. Uh, you know, a, a, a tough uh, effort from this Iowa team, um, you know, that was playing on the road. And then they went to Rutgers. Yeah, well, so before we go, I mean, I don't want to shortchange Boiler Nation on their wins, give them credit. I, Number five, Villanova was a neutral site game. I think they played um, also beat North Carolina in the ACC challenge. Yeah, they've played so, teams yeah. that are going far in the tournament and yeah. beaten them. The Purdue absolutely. And also uh, and also Florida State, yeah. <laughs> which if, 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 you know, is not necessarily taking that seriously, still a massively talented program. And then Purdue has absolutely has some wins over definite tournament teams, probably a couple of sweet 16 teams. And then there's the trip to Rutgers. And this is, again, why we mentioned, like, at first, the thing with the rack, aka, well, now the the discount subway center or whatever they call it. Jersey uh, Mike's. <laughs> just, like, talk about leaning into type. Uh, yeah, where it was showing on naming rights to, yeah, uh, Mike's. <laughs> to a crappy subway chain. <laughs> so it's just, uh, but anyway, they do go to the rack and lose. Back and forth game. I thought, I mean, in the last 30 seconds, you could have thought on three different occasions that Purdue had this game won. No, no, Rutgers has this game won. Oh, no, Purdue has this game won. I th- I mean, I think Trayvon Williams banked in his very his high degree of difficulty shot to take the lead with like 3.4 seconds or something like that. And so Rutgers has no timeouts left. They inbound it. Harper gets the ball, dribbles. Has to like Euro step through a couple guys, you know, travel if you're a traditionalist, whatever. Yeah, he it. he took so he took a highly contested half court heave. Yeah, two guys on him and just rattled it home. Nothing, nothing but the bottom. Well, I guess back iron, but uh still it gets home. And that, by the way, is an acceptable court storming. It continuing over the trend from football season, ton of court storming this year. Understandable. People who are deprived of a lot of joy the last couple of years, and so now very much more willing to be like, no, I'm going to be on the field and celebrate this and make a memory for myself. And okay, that's fine. Uh, But yeah, beating number one at home. Absolutely. No matter who you are, you're allowed to do that if you want. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, However, was... Rutgers did not fare so well against Seton Hall. As that game is wrapped, they lost by roughly 10. I don't know if that was the exact margin. Okay, okay it was 12. Uh, just couldn't close the gap against the uh, the Pirates, who do have some fairly impressive wins of their own. But Yeah, I'm, well, I'm seeing a 77-63 final. Ah, okay, um, well, what? I mean, it was functionally 10, yeah, and then... Yeah, and then, right, as you thing. mentioned, the free throw thing kind of blows out the margin a little bit at the end. Rutgers had a weird start, holding off Lehigh by three points, winning against Merrimack 48-35 to for some reason. 
yeah, probably a more hideous win than any other losses. Although, I mean, that very much remains to be seen because in addition to UMass, they had a three-game skid in the non-com where they lost to DePaul. They lost to Lafayette. Like, these are not good losses. 53 to 51 to Lafayette. Yeah, that was... They were able to solve a few more of Trent's butt tricks than was Penn State, but they still lost. And it's just... It's been a thing, like... Teams have succeeded in this league without having great offense, right? But even the even the very hardest to watch Wisconsin teams still had Jordan Taylor, right? And I've been bringing, I've been thinking about that era recently a lot because, and we'll, I guess we'll go, we'll pivot over to Wisconsin next. When I see this year's Wisconsin team and what Johnny Davis is doing there, it makes me think of Jordan Taylor, Wisconsin, where it's like, oh, they have one guy who is great and capable of scoring. And they need him to do everything. <laughs> um, but my point is that you, that kind of basketball can succeed, but you got to be so good at everything else. Like you have to be great rebounding, great defensively, great at selling your terrible flops, can't turn the ball over yourself. And then that's how you survive on offensive margins that way. Miles Johnson was just such a huge loss for this team. Turned out, yeah. It I mean, it, it really, he really was the, you know, kind of, held that he was perfect for the style of play that they have he was very much their spiritual core right like that's an odd thing to say on a team that has geo baker who once again is hurt and an impact guy like rod harper but i uh, those guys are the leaders but but johnson seemed to really embody what steve pikehill rutgers is yeah and on the court he was the stuff that he did was way more important to to succeeding with their style of play than what you get from harper and baker um, which is to say, at times, inefficient shot making. From so a, a bizarre sentence to say, Rutgers defeated Clemson in a rematch of their round of 32 game, or no, 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 of, of their first round game in the NCAA tournament. Isn't yeah, that a weird thing to say? It, it can't be a thing that happens very often, just by luck of the draw. And, and then it turns out I've attended a Rutgers game this year. Uh, I've watched quite okay. a bit of Rutgers up close. You watch them get absolutely whitewashed by your fighting Illini. Yeah, the first conference game back for the Orange Crush in a long time. And the first time I'd been to the uh, State Farm Center since it got that name and then got renovated. Um, and yeah, it, it, it man, I really, I think the cool thing about that venue is uh, one, it looks like a sweet ass mushroom, but two, it just looks so big inside because the roof is so, so high because again, it is a dome. So it just, it has that look, you know, when you see like old pictures of basketball from the 70s and it's like, oh, it's just like this mist up in the the upper reaches of the rafters because it looks so far away. <laughs> you kind of get that feeling at, at State Farm Center. I really like it. Underrated venue, but so uh, yeah, it was yeah, Rutgers went on the road. That's what happened. They went on the road. Well, right. And it was not a great start to the season for them. They're clearly going to pick up a few more home wins that'll kind of sustain belief in what Pykele is doing but as you mentioned at some point this home road split thing can't be this extreme you have to win games on the road yeah see what Purdue didn't have at you know at Rutgers place was thousands of kids bullying Paul Mulcahy for 40 minutes (laughs) boy I was impressed at how mad we still are at him I guess man I I think it's better like have stuff like, like that go uh, but all right, we got to keep this thing moving to keep it timely here. So we did bring up Wisconsin there. 
by means of comparison, um, gross. They seem to be pretty okay again this year. Um, mentioned though that offensively, boy, it is Johnny Davis, and sometimes a second guy shows up, but that's about it. Um, they were one of the teams that contributed to the early run of kind of embarrassing Big Ten games. The Big Ten didn't acquit itself very well in the Gavit games. It was Wisconsin took a 63-58 loss to Providence, but other than that, held up pretty well, knocking off yeah. number 12 Houston. Well, right. They went straight from there to the Maui gym where they beat Texas A&M. And then as you say, Houston, where they actually, they got out to a huge lead over Houston. I think it was like 20 or so, like 18, 20, 22 points or something like that. And then they had to hold on for dear life because Houston basically just started flinging up any half decent shot they could get and then attacking the offensive glass. And that's been their recipe for success. Um, and so to hold them off for that one was impressive. They got a good win over St. Mary's. Uh, they beat Georgia Tech in the challenge, although closer than you would have thought that game would be. And just when I was starting to get because I mean, they get into conference play. So first of all, they beat Marquette, but that's, I mean, Marquette hasn't been, you know, they're clearly going to be a little bit different of a thing under Shaka Smart than they were with Buzz Williams. And then they get into conference play. They, fall behind by 20 to Indiana, as we mentioned when we talked about the Hoosiers, but they come back and pull that win out. It had just gotten to the point where I was like, all right, I guess I have to acknowledge Wisconsin's pretty, and then Ohio State blew their wheels off uh, yesterday. And the game was competitive for most of the first half, went back and forth, but OSU really tore it open. Been a lot of expectations whiplash so far this year, hasn't there? Yeah, man, it's still, and you know, Relative to the total body of the season, that's not all that unusual. We're basically at the same point in the basketball season as we are when we get to the end of the non-conference in football, where it's like, all right, you've got, depending on when your buy is, you've got like three or four games of data, like a lot of conflicting results and good luck trying to use the transitive property, I think, as everybody's beating everybody else. You just need more data points for things to sort out. And by the time we get into you know, end of the year, first couple weeks of January, we'll have a better idea who's who. Hey, in a complete non sequitur, uh, I'm going to address this comment to any Maryland football fans listening to this. Uh, just so you know, years and years and years after Ron Zook is finally gone from your program, your special teams will still be terrible. It will take you maybe eight years to even have a chance to have not terrible special teams. I can tell you this because that was the case for Illinois, and it certainly is the case for the Green Bay Packers. You just yield it. You just cannot, cannot power wash the smell of Ron Zook out of the special teams. It was only a matter of time before they yielded one. They yielded like a 50 yarder and a 40 yarder on returns. Yeah. I guess. And holy first... shit. This is just, this is just preposterous. Just kick it out of bounds at this point and let your defense do some shit. Well, My you did. God, you just, you, you just, just never, ever, ever, ever let Ron Zook coach special teams because you, you, it's going to be in there long after he's gone. Referring, of course, to what you just witnessed live. I saw a few seconds ago. Kept my poker face pretty good, I think. I managed to keep just talking about Wisconsin basketball like it didn't happen. Because I do. I have a little bit of Packers sympathy at this point, honestly. I, I think it's Because you're a Michigan game. State basketball fan. Yeah, kind of. I mean, The I, green I, team I, that sometimes people are like, <laughs> oh, well, this other team, I think it's their year. And it's always kind of Michigan State's year. Yeah, well, it mostly good, but probably not winning the big game as much as they should. Uh, I was going to say that I 
kind of generally root for the Packers because I want you to be mentally healthy, and this seems to be a big part of that. But, but also, anyway, I what just, you said could be true as well. But I just so much, you know, and again, sure, you have your frustrations with what Michigan State has done in the Final Four and with very talented tournament teams, but you'd much rather be in that situation than be, say, like, a diehard Rutger basketball fan. Well, maybe not after. Oh, the yeah, it's no, 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 right? no. Very much first world problems. And I try to keep that in mind because again, I know that Tom Izzo's time is not going to last forever. And that whoever comes after him, very unlikely that they'll be as good. Yep. I know we're spoiled <laughs> as hell. I wanted another Super Bowl, but man, I already got two in my life. And, and, other, uh, yeah, and I got and a lot of bad memories, but a lot of great memories were made on the way to those. And the other thing, karmically speaking, is that it really kind of looks like Michigan State pulled off the impossible with in replacing D'Antonio with Mel Tucker. To expect something like that to happen for basketball, uh, that's, boy. Um, although I will say that uh, my my coach crush, Nate Oates, did pull out an extru- a thrilling game Alabama and Houston and at some neutral site. No, it was at Alabama. Uh, it was a home game for Alabama. So back and forth, two really good teams. If if you're interested at all in getting a wider exposure to college basketball, I know some of you out there are going to say, oh, Calvin Sampson. Team's fun to watch, though. And same thing for Alabama. So Nate Oates would be on the top of my list. But anyway, we're getting way off track here. Let's resume. Point is, um, Wisconsin also receiving votes. Where we yeah, think they'll well, they, so right because they were 22nd before this. I mean, the escape at home against Indiana, I don't think it's gonna get them much credit, and they did get handled pretty well by Ohio State. Indiana was also receiving votes, they were. We already talked about them though, so we're not going back to that. No, okay. I know. I'm just saying that bolsters you know Wisconsin's credibility for holding off, holding them off. Yeah, so maybe they'll end up hanging around to the. I mean, I don't know what some of the non conference teams did at the fringe of the rankings, but anyway. Hey, let's talk about some comic relief. I was going to talk about Ohio State. Oh, okay. We can do okay. comic relief after that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 do let's do one more serious one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Ohio State. We you know I mentioned earlier that Iowa had this stretch where it's like I don't know how if you can do that. Ohio State didn't have all these in a row, but they scheduled their non-conference pretty impressively. Um, they did take a loss in an in-state trip to Xavier. Uh, they beat Seton Hall, though. Who I, it feels like half the league has played Seton Hall at this point. Yeah, um, I was I was noticing there's, that. There's always like two or three Big Ten teams that play Seton Hall. Um, understandably so. They're a tough, you know, well-constructed team. They always have good physicality. Um, Ohio State also lost a game to Florida. And again, another one of these neutral site tournaments. I think that one was, was, in, was it in the Bahamas? No, I, I don't remember. But in any case. Um, they had a good back and forth game with Florida lost on a half time on a half court heave as time expired. So that's already two potential contenders in the big 10 who have lost heartbreaking games uh, as time expired. Um, I just cracked a bell's bright white, even though we're not talking about Iowa yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of bright whites, uh, probably the signature game of, the season, certainly for Ohio State, maybe for the conference, depending on how, what you think of Purdue's wins. Um, Ohio State handled Duke and Paolo Banquero, presumed top three draft pick. Oh my goodness, Devontae Adams is good. Um, so that was their non-con. They handled that stretch. You know, again, two and two, maybe that loss at Xavier doesn't necessarily age that well, but it's not terrible. 
on the court, big thing for them has been EJ Liddell taking the star turn, like a potential All-American type of guy that his potential has always hinted at. And watching him, I was like, all right, so what are they doing differently that's made this possible? And I think this is where I you know, reveal the lack of X's nose knowledge I have. But from a sort of big picture standpoint, they're playing Zed Keymore. And I know you remember him because of his fantastic name. Yes, it's a thing that Canadians have on their keyboards next to the X key. <laughs> and there were some flashes from him last year. I was like, oh, man, they might have found a guy but they didn't play him very much. And they, I don't, I don't remember if they've actually inserted him in the starting lineup or if they're bringing him off the bench and Kyle Young technically starts, but they kind of split the minutes or what it is. But when key is out there, they're able to keep Liddell off of the matchup with the opponent's biggest, most physical big guy. And he's had some trouble with that in the past it really seems to be helping that he's actually able to be at stretch four, which I think has always been his more natural position. Definitely what he's going to be as a pro. Um, so he's become a three level score. I mean, he's a decent enough outside shooter. He's really still going to do most of his work in the paint, but having a physical compliment like key to help out because I mean, again, Kyle young, they have a hard time keeping healthy. So you want to take it easy on his minutes. I think he had shoulder surgery again in the off season or something. Um, their real problem is they are not very good at stopping dribble penetration. They miss justice suing very badly. Um, Seth Towns has also, again, been out with another injury. They're supposed to get both of those guys back in relatively short order. And that might change the character of their defense enough that maybe you think about them as a higher ceiling type of group. But they're also going through some growing pains in their backcourt now, giving Big minutes to the freshman Malachi Branham and also to Michi Johnson, who reclassified and came early. And well, they only returned that kick 35 yards. Right, right. There's some progress. God damn. <laughs> I still, again, I just, you can't make it up. I played Green Bay's defense. It was a great matchup on paper. Chicago scored 24 points and now has the ball again with time left and all three timeouts. Well, their offense has only scored 17, though. Yeah, that's true, but I don't think I don't know if Yahoo's algorithm is sophisticated enough to account for that. Well, and- if you did bet Packers money line, though, you're still in good shape because Rogers just celebrated with a mild sure you can, but 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 death stared the Bears bench while he did it. So he did a little celebration uppercut <laughs> with this scowl on his face. With, he is a I deeply weird man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, okay, so you wanted to get you wanted to get to a more amusing storyline and I walked all over it. Where were you going to lead us next before I wanted to talk about Ohio state to the Maryland Terrapins, of course. Aha. You say that. And yet just a couple hours ago, they pulled off a pretty impressive win against Florida, um, which so they, makes it even more fun. Yeah. Either signs of life or dead cat bounce, whatever you prefer um, from a team that made it all of eight games into the season before their fans successfully cyber bullied their coach into quitting. Yeah. See, they, uh, they also participated in the big tens early season embarrassment parade, losing to George Mason at home. And that was all she wrote for Mark Turgeon. At least that was all Mark Turgeon wrote. Cause uh, it's not clear the extent to which he quit or was fired. It supposedly was mutual supposedly the team is or the school is going to pay him his five million dollar buyout which man i wish i i was saying this i was sitting right where i am right now 
um, on my good old couch. And when I read that story, I just turned to my wife and I was like, what do I have to do to get to a place where I can quit my job and get $5 million for it? (laughs) Well, you know, see, and I'm thinking like, you know, as I'm thinking about kind of what I want to do with my career, what the next steps are, I'm thinking if I had the option where I, I could get myself fired and get $5 million and then just go into a regular kind of, you know, a, a regular kind of job, like the kind that I've been looking for. Uh, and then I'm sure I'd be asked, well, why, why, you know, what happened at your last job? Well, if I got fired, I would make $5 million. So I got fired because I wanted $5 million and they'd pretty much have to be like, oh, fair enough. Or just reveal themselves as people that, you know, are completely dishonest about what they would do in that situation. Oh, yeah. Any any decent hiring manager there would say, I, you know what, that's that's good initiative and decision making. I like the judgment. Yeah, I really like I really like that you're self-started that, you, you, you know, you, you were very proactive about getting that five million. So Turgeon's last two games, both losses, they played Louisville in a non-conference game, lost that. And I, I believe his last game was the Big Ten ACC Challenge where they lost to a thoroughly nondescript Virginia Tech team. Um, it's got, But we have a little bit of context on this, of course, because our Maryland correspondent, DJ Carver, has been beating the drum to fire Turgeon for years. And like them winning a share of the Big Ten title a couple of years ago did not mollify DJ at all. No, if anything, it, it really... It pissed him it off. Devastated. More, anything else. He was yeah. devastated. He was just um, beside himself. He couldn't believe it. Well, look, it's understandable because it, even with Anthony Cowan and, and Kevin Herter, they backed into a three-way tie by face planting. Like they should have had an outright conference title. And but God the, damn it, man! I, if, if I were a little bit meaner, I would have sent some some championship gear to his place. Well, <laughs> I wonder how he would react. I don't even know. But we have context from him, though, about what exactly is it. So it, it pretty much had become unanimous within the fan base of this is not working. We have to get rid of this guy. He, oh, but shortly before he, this whole him leaving thing, uh, the transfer of much touted freshman forward James Graham was announced. And like, like a day or two later, he was gone. And apparently it came out that Graham was frustrated that he had not been getting much playing time because what Maryland's been struggling with this year is they don't have anybody who can shoot very well. James Graham was renowned as a really good shooter coming out of high school and they won't play the guy. And he's like, well, what do I have to do to get on the court? And Turgeon was just like, you should transfer, leave my team. I don't want you here anymore. The guy who, again, <laughs> and wait, we're three games into the season. Maybe at that point, a couple more than that, but not much more. Like, it, well, Turgeon was still the coach, so it yeah. couldn't have been more than three. So, well, it was probably games five. Well, like I said, he made it eight games in this year. Oh, he made it uh, eight games in. I thought it was after yeah. George Mason. No, the rumors started after George Mason. Okay, that was the first thing, and I think that was probably the last straw for anybody who was going to go to a Maryland game and potentially support him. Like, it, it they were booed off the court after losing to Virginia Tech. Um, it, yeah, it had gotten ugly. His high school recruiting, it supposedly he had basically stopped trying. He was just relying on the transfer portal. And look, they got a couple of good guys. Um, Fats Russell, first of all, first name All-American, all-name team. And uh, Caduce Wahab from Georgetown, a center. So they imported a couple of useful players, but there's just not enough left. Like, he's not hitting the port. He wasn't hitting the portal hard enough to totally build a team that way, the way like a Hoiberg would. And so he had those two guys that he brought in. And then it's like Eric Ayala and Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott. 
that's all that's left. That's not a team. It's the second year in a row that they've had freshmen leave the team before the end of their first semester with the team. He doesn't know how to talk to high school players anymore. He doesn't know how to communicate with the youngest guys on the team. It's just, yeah, it's just talk about a guy that just doesn't need to be doing this anymore. I mean, yeah. no. It's like I got I got a lot of respect for Vontae Davis for just once as soon as it hit him, as soon as it hit him, shit, man. I'm just not fast enough to be out here. I'm just not fast enough. Like, like this game has passed me by. And he realized, well, I mean, I just can't play anymore. I just gotta be done. And it was halftime of a game. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting because if you can't or if you're in Turgeon's position. And you can't recruit anymore. He's never been viewed as an X's and O's savant. He's always no. kind of been the guy who gets the talent and his assistants make it go. Um, the fact that Brad Underwood keeps losing endgame chess matches to him, for instance, maddens me to no end. <laughs> well, of again, all the guys in the conference to lose those two. Presumably you've seen your last of those. I don't know what the Yeah, we have a chance now. But, I mean, the information that came out after the end of his tenure there does not paint a flattering picture of Mark Turgeon. So it's difficult to imagine that he's going to be seen on patrolling another big 10 sideline. Anytime. Not at all. And also, I mean, shit, it's not even like getting, getting rid of him did all that much. Cause they still lost Northwestern. They did. Yeah. It was the first game. At, it was like two days after he left though. But like who does that? Well, sure. But speaking of, let's go ahead and get to Northwestern then. So, they played a mostly squishy non-conference schedule. There's nothing in here that's going to prove to you that they're really improved. They did also lose to Providence like Wisconsin did, um, as well as Wake Forest. However, perhaps one of the low-key, more entertaining moments of the year so far when they just fucking housed Tom Queen's Georgia, which is apparently going to be absolutely terrible this year. They had a bunch of transfers out and a cut and you know Anthony Edwards declared for the draft. And they just did not replace any of those guys. They grabbed like low level and junior college transfers at the last second to slap a roster together, and it's going to be bad. So, uh, good time to play Georgia if you're Northwestern. Um, aside from that, like we said, they they did they had the fortune to get Maryland in their first game after the Turgeon thing went down. As with everyone else, they've got a front court player who looks to have made kind of a star turn. Pete Nance is finally showing signs of being the player that Northwestern needs him to be. Still not the deepest scoring punch you would see in the conference. They basically got the guard, Boo Booey, the wing, Chase Audige, and the front court guy, Nance. Occasionally, you'll get a decent game from Ryan Young or, or somebody, but still just a little bit shallow in terms of scoring punch. And there's not a whole lot in the way of big time opponents to measure them against yet. It is Northwestern basketball because they've got multiple guys that just like you hear their name and it's got nothing to do with their performance. You're like, Oh God, I'm just sick of hearing this particular sequence of syllables. It's very weird. Uh, Boo in Boo Booey and Chase Audige. They just always have to have a couple of those guys on Northwestern basketball where you're just like, that's kind of awkward name. I'm just sick of hearing it. Kind of, but they are also a very experienced team. So we've been they are indeed some of these. We've been hearing some of these names for a long time. Yep. Um, all right. So now to finish our turnaround, the conference we have two teams left to discuss. By my count, <laughs> although it, it would be pretty funny if we just completely accidentally leave somebody out. Um, we'll leave it to you all to read into that and whether we did it on purpose or not. We have a team that has 
alter that is been off of expectations in a very good way and a team off expectations in a bad way. What would you prefer to do first? Well, look, these two teams have a lot in common. For instance, they both played a game yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they also they also both had coaches that we were just kind of like, eh, I'm not sure what's going on here. And then they started off hotter than hell. Yeah, and what you refer to there is at the time the hire was made. So we're talking, yes, of course, at the about time Minnesota the and Michigan, Ben Johnson, Dewan Howard, respectively. Because they, they, they underwhelmed us greatly Yeah, and it, and at the time they were hired. For Michigan, it turned out far better than they could have hoped. Not in year one, but year two, huge step forward. Um, Minnesota, we'll start with Minnesota. Why not? The results so far are pretty promising. Um, so Ben Johnson, again, the former Richard Pitino assistant, who then went to become an assistant at Xavier. It just seemed like such a strange decision for Minnesota to fire Patino to bring back one of his former assistants as the head. Not a guy who had taken a head coaching job either. But anyway, that's what they did. Almost the entire roster left uh, of everybody who... So Eric Curry was able to come back. He's finally healthy and they're getting contributions from him. Um, the only other guy who would have been back from the previous year's roster was Isaiah Innan, and he's now out for the year. He's now out out. I think he's out for the year. Well, yeah. Okay, Inan so Innan and out out. Innan is out out. <laughs> um, they hit the transfer portal, and I don't know that I've seen this before that I can think of off the top of my head. Where Peyton Willis comes back, a guy who started, played a few years at Minnesota, transferred to College of Charleston, and then. The new coach comes back. He's like, hey, remember me? We used to kick it, right? And so they bring him back. Uh, he's been very good for them. Um, and they found a couple other hits in the transfer portal with guard EJ Stevens and sort of a combo three, four guy, Jamison Battle, who's been, I think, very impressive. I actually do recall one situation where a Big Ten basketball player um, was on a team and then left, played, some, you know, and, and went to school somewhere else and came back. It was Darius Paul for Illinois. He got kicked off. He went to Juco and then he came back, but he got kicked off after his redshirt year. So he didn't play, but he did have two stints of not playing for us. Uh, yeah. So like I said, it's um, Minnesota's, uh, you know, there are two a, non-consecutive terms on the bench. Yeah. Very much the Grover Cleveland of Big Ten basketball. And Minnesota has done it so far, playing a very short bench. It's true. They, they've not had the most difficult schedule yet, but they beat Mississippi State. It's a decent SEC team. And then in their first two, they gave Michigan State a good enough game at home. I mean, I, I don't think they, the, there was ever a serious chance of Minnesota winning that. But then they go to Ann Arbor and they get the win. Uh, and again, this is playing. They've got a very small rotation and a very limited number so short in two directions right um where they really only play six guys and none of those guys like eddie curry i think is six nine or six ten maybe only guy they play who has any real size and so going up against michigan who center footer hunter dickinson and then also musa diabate a freshman who i think runs like six ten six eleven they play sometimes they play both of those guys at once Michigan had a big advantage on the boards and they couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. It was a, it was a remarkably back and forth game with, you yeah. know, all the way. I mean, you look at the game flow and it's just like two lines crisscrossing each other up until about five minutes in the second half, at which point Minnesota kind of established an insurmountable lead. Michigan never really cut it down within uh, 
you know, within one possession. After I watched that. enough of this that really, like, it's not like Minnesota figured out a way to, I mean, they, they did some things that frustrated Dickinson, who turned the ball over a few times. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to declare this opinion just yet. But I am going to say that what I've seen from Dickinson so far, it's not the kind of jump that I was afraid as a fan of another team he might make. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, kind of because it feels like, like, oh boy, he was very effective because he had some really serious shooting on the outside that was helping him out. I mean, he he remains a fairly good passer, but that's true. um, Not an elite passer. And Michigan has not replaced the guys that they lost. You make a good point. Yes. That the supporting cast around him, especially in terms of three point shooting, it's been a huge drop off from the likes of Mike Smith, Chaundy Brown, Franz Wagner, Isaiah Livers. And when, like we said, and so much of his game had been about, you know, being, uh, you know, being good at passing out of the post because he commands attention. Right. So having the post moves to draw a double, but also having the shooters around him and the vision to pass out to kill you if you double them. To wit, Michigan was three for 18 from beyond the arc in this game against Minnesota. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, a decent number of good looks too. It's just they're not at a point yet where Devontae Jones is really not an outside shooter the same way that a Mike Smith was coming in as a point guard transfer. Um, Eli Brooks, I think, is always going to be kind of hot and cold. I don't think you want to rely on him to shoot a ton of spot-up threes like that. He'll give you clutch shots here and there, but not the kind of guy who has shooting gravity that makes you abandon covering Hunter Dickinson, right? So I think we're kind of talking about both of these teams. I think it's fair to say, would you agree that Minnesota is the biggest surprise so far of the early season? Um, in a good as, way. Yes. In a good way. And that Michigan is maybe one of the bigger surprises in the downward direction. I think so. Um, the only other possible contender for that. I know some people thought Iowa was going to was going to remain kind of in that top five to six range. I didn't see it. I thought they were going to Me be neither. worse than they have been so far. Um and I mean, and I, I think you, know, you I, could also argue Illinois, but I, I always thought their number 11 preseason ranking was a bit much. Yeah, but I mean, considering that Michigan went from top, what, number five to start the season, four or five, yeah. falling all the way out of the rankings. Um, they lost to Seton Hall, but then they got absolutely trucked by Arizona, which yeah um, looks, looks very good. Again, my team recently lost to them, but uh, um, you, by you a much closer a margin. You gave Arizona yeah, we, much more of a fight. And there was, it was definitely pretty reasonable to assume we could have won that game. Um, but if you had your starting point guard, you would have won that game. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, yeah, I, that's why I'm, I'm sort of putting a, a pin in judging Illinois and I'm willing still to be patient with Michigan. I still think that the talent is ultimately going to win out. They're and very it, young. Yeah, they are young, well, young. And also even the veterans they have are mostly transfers really when you look at what they bring back from last year's team, guys who really played meaningful roles, it's Dickinson, it's Brooks, and it's Brandon Johns, and that's it. They have a couple other guys, you know, Terrence Williams, they've gotten in there here and there, but Zeb Jackson has been hurt. Um, Jace Howard really hasn't contributed yet. It's not clear if he's going to, but other than that, it's all transfers and freshmen. Diabate has been the real thing so far. I think, I mean, his ceiling to me, I think he profiles as a much better NBA player than Dickinson does because as much as we saw, oh man, look at these practice videos of Hard Dickinson shooting threes in an empty gym. Yeah, I also saw some of those of Kofi Coburn. Yeah, I don't think he's taken a single one since 
the season started. Don't no, he took he took two against Minnesota and missed both of them. There you go. So um, by all means, have your set have your seven foot unicorn shooting threes at a twenty five percent clip. <laughs> the rest of us would love to see that. Well, yeah, let's call him Hendrix Cobb for those of you that played NBA two K twenty one as a center. <laughs> There's just this storyline guy that oh he always plays the same position as you, but also he can do real everything really well. So when you play as a center, this dude can knock down threes all day. <laughs> um, so yeah, three what I think are surefire tournament teams on Michigan's schedule in Seton Hall, Arizona, and UNC. Lost by two to Seton Hall, got trucked by the other two. Yeah, and the other thing I think really the biggest factor for them and whether they kind of hit their ceiling or get close to it is whether they is whether Caleb Houston better adjusts to the game or not. Because so far he has not really looked all that prepared for college ball and the role that they're going to need him to play. But the talent is obviously there, and so will again like I expect Michigan to get better as the game goes on. That's by the way I'm perfectly happy that MSU's first game I think we played both our games with them before mid January, uh, so I'm perfectly happy to have that be the situation because I think they'll be better you know Valentine's Day than they are Christmas. So, okay, so overall, if you look at the conference, we talked about, you know, surprises, disappointments. Um, how are your expectations versus the beginning? Do, who do you think are going to be the teams that compete for their conference title? I still think it's going to be Purdue um, looking down at the rest of the field and not just by virtue of their height. Again, I know that because really, like, if you look at the at the Rutgers result there it's not like Purdue played all that bad of a game Rutgers just shot the lights out and got a career game out of a first round player in Ron Harper I think most nights if that's what it takes to beat Purdue you probably still predict them to finish what something like 16 and 4 15 and 5 yeah. I think yeah, that's they, probably they good look- enough because there are a lot of other good teams I think this is probably about an 8 bid league this year but I don't see anybody who if they're both playing roughly the same quality of game, Purdue should necessarily be afraid of. I think it's still their conference to lose. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically have to always expect Michigan state, even if you don't know anything about the team to be in the mix at this point, Ohio state has certainly looked the part in their conference games. And then the other thing that I think you would keep an eye on is what really are we going to get from Wisconsin? They have to find a second score to complement Davis and the other thing is, I, I think they've got to sort out their interior play too, because they're they're rotating a few guys through there, especially at the five. I prefer I'd like vote more than Crowell, but they seem to play them roughly equally. Um, I think if they get something, it's not like they need huge production. Like they don't need the guy to be Frank Kaminsky, but if they get something like 14, you know, 12, 14 points a night from those two guys together. I think that's going to go a long way. Um, they've got a decent uh, Tyler Wall probably has to be their second banana, but it's going to be the Davis show, and they'll go as far as he can take them. The thing is, I don't know if a Jordan Taylor kind of build works for Wisconsin the same way now that it did ten years ago. I think the conference is better, deeper, and stronger at the top. Uh, but and I, I'm not. I'm going to try to flex as little as possible. But uh, we also have not seen the final form of Illinois yet. Of course, a lot of these teams, you can say they get better. I mean, Illinois tends to, has tended to over the last couple of years, lose some really stupid games in December and early January under Brad Underwood, but, and and get better over the the later part of the conference schedule. But the difference, of course, this year is Andre Curbelo has not at any point this season been healthy, even when he's played. 
Yeah. And so hopefully once he's able to get back, he won't have any lingering because it's like a, it's a combination of sort of concussion neck injury, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's basically at, like, they haven't given too many details, but it really does sound like it's, it's sort of lingering after effects, you know, cause you can clear concussion protocols and still be affected by a concussion. Yeah. Um, so hopefully he's able to get back and be his normal self because that would obviously, I mean, given that they have shooters around him now, Frazier, Plummer, um, let him cook with Coburn. Maybe they'll finally run a pick and roll, although I doubt it. Um, and Illinois they just, could, I mean, Illinois you, would be seen, the one that would have the the horses to go toe to toe with Purdue. And you've seen what Arizona he, did to them in the with the with the press, and you saw what Iowa did with them to them with the press. And you just, you just gotta hope like that. that you get him back quick enough that you you don't drop another two or three conference games that you probably would have won with him. You know. Well, I'm hoping that we're saving him to put down a lusty 40-point beatdown on a terrible Missouri team in uh, coming up in a week and a half here. Here's hoping. Absolutely. So uh, what, what else are you seeing that looks interesting uh, before conference play for real starts? Well, yeah. So let's go ahead and finish up then with a quick look at the upcoming schedule. And I got to say... We kind of front loaded our non-con as a conference. There's that, and that's to be expected. This time of year, between finals and the conference schedule approaching, even maniacs like Tom Izzo tend to lighten up a little bit on the schedule. But a few things that our folks out there might find interesting. Of course, the Crossroads Classic is always of interest to our neighbors to the southwest in the Hoosier State. That's on the 18th. You'll have Butler versus Purdue and Indiana versus Notre Dame. I think both those games ought to be wins, even though Notre Dame just did knock off Kentucky this weekend. So you've got that. And on the same day, you also have Ohio State playing a non-conference with that same Kentucky team out in Las Vegas. So that'll be a good game of hoops on Saturday. The following week, as you mentioned, we do have bragging rights on the 22nd. Missouri is just terrible. Their fans are definitely not going to show up because they never do if they've got even the hint, the the smallest hint of adversity coming their way. But Missouri got uh, Missouri got punched in the face by their own satellite campus at home by double digits. They got rocked by about forty by Kansas most recently. Yeah, um, they their their fans have discovered a, a clause that Quanzo Martin's not allowed to be fired without cause before May twenty twenty two. That's that's how this is going. Their fans are looking <laughs> at when it is possible to fire Quanzo Martin. I, of course, hope they don't fire him before Brad Underwood can prove that he can beat them without Leron Black because Illinois has been substantially better than Missouri the last two years and still lost to them. So that's that's basically it for the big ticket non-conference games coming up. If you are interested in seeing any particular team, you know, for example, whoever your conference team plays first, if you want to get a look at them, the entire conference plays a tune-up game against your various cupcakes on the over the 29th and the 30th. Most of the conference plays on the 29th, but a couple games on the 30th as well. Uh, cannot say I'm going to be watching that because I'm going to be on my way to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. So that'll be kind of your last chance to get a look at any upcoming opponents that you're curious about to kind of see how they're looking. Um, guys you want to watch out for, that'll be the 29th and the 30th, that tune-up slate. So I think that about concludes it for our first, I, didn't I tell you, we never managed to keep it tight, but I feel it's important to be thorough and hopefully everyone out there gets some benefit out of this. 
Um, if nothing else, I'm just sitting here very glad that I didn't play Aaron Jones as the Packers barrel towards the end zone, giving the ball to A.J. Dillon instead. As a Packers fan, I'm just glad they're finally giving the ball to A.J. Dillon in short yardage. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!